coming up next in The Ziegler Show. Well, when we use the term calling, we can use a lot of other terms to kind of know you're in your sweet spot or in the groove or in your zone or whatever, but calling historically has kind of a spiritual significance. So it's seen as something really, really special. Yeah. Something you probably didn't really set up in any way. You just were the lucky recipient. You know, it's the apostle Paul on the road to Damascus and boom, lightning strikes him and he falls on his face and hears from God. I mean, that's what people want when they talk about. And thus we then assume calling is reserved for just a few people. Welcome to The Ziggler Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. This podcast has a simple premise. It's to take the age-old wisdom of self-help and personal development and break it down as to how it relates to our world today, to your world today. You can dig in more with each episode at kevinmiller.co. In this episode, I wanted to talk about calling. I keep seeing people get wrapped up in trying to find and feeling they must find this elusive one thing, the Holy Grail calling on their life. And I wanted to relieve the tension and the pressure and showcase that our ultimate calling or purpose is not so narrow. It's something everyone has can have, and it's something you can do in all the roles of your life. And this frees us up from thinking that we have, again, just this one special application to apply our calling. And what is a true calling anyways? So I brought on one of the world's premier experts on the subject, especially as it relates to your vocation or job or career or business, however you label it. And that expert is Dan Miller. And yes, we're related. He's my dad best-selling author and renowned career coach of 48 Days to the Work You Love, uh, finding your calling and supporting it in your work. That's what he's devoted his life to. And you can find out more at 48days.com. Hey, if you're new to Ziggler and are a coach or want to become one, let the Ziggler family empower you at Ziggler.com slash coach leadership program. Connect with Tom Ziegler himself there. Now I bring you Dan Miller and a very candid conversation on calling that I didn't script at all. I texted him about it. He said, Hey, let's do it. And now you're about to hear the discussion that happened a mere three minutes later. It was online somewhere that, or or a book that I read, I kind of lost it, but it's just been chewing on my mind for a week of this issue of calling. Uh, it's an issue. I mean, it's something you talk topic you talk about. I mean, you, you've talked about it my whole life. You're my dad and, and, and doing something <laughs> that, uh, you know, purpose and calling. I mean, you're one of the top tier guys for talking on this. And yet I continue to see people struggle with it, which I'm sure you do too, but I'm concerned about the core perception of it. And I saw, again, it was a post or a commentary and somebody just wrapped up in that feeling of, I've got to find that city slickers, Jack Palance, the one thing. (laughs) And, and I get that. And I've even seen that in some of my kids that some of your grandkids, um, of doing that and me trying to bring them back and saying, okay, it's, it's, it's not that. So Start off there. I mean, especially with people work focused, business focused, are they trying to find that one all holy grail calling in that, or is their calling a bigger scope of life? Wow. Yeah. Okay. You set us up there beautifully. Well, when we use the term calling, we can use a lot of other terms to kind of know you're in your sweet spot or in the groove or in your zone or whatever, but calling 
historically has kind of a spiritual significance. So it's seen as something really, really special. Yeah. Something you probably didn't really set up in any way. You just were the lucky recipient. You know, it's the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus and boom, lightning strikes him and he falls on his face and hears from God. I mean, that's what people want when they talk about. And thus, we then assume calling is reserved for just a few people. And again, in the in the faith context, it's for pastors, missionaries, evangelists, you know, teachers, prophets, but certainly not for the dude who's just down here, you know, running a business or he's got an Amazon fulfillment business or a little manufacturing plant or even a dentist or physician or attorney. You know, certainly they did, they weren't lucky enough to get a calling. Well, I think that really cheapens the idea of calling. I don't think it gives it a, a healthy elevation. I think it cheapens it because it makes it something unattainable for the average person. Now, that being said, I don't think a person needs to just struggle and struggle and struggle and feeling like they somehow are still at the side of the road and never really got a calling. I think there's enough benchmarks there for any of us to figure out how we can be in that right place that right place being not the Jack Palance, the one thing you can't do anything else. No, but a place where there's a convergence of your passion, your talent and money. Okay. When you say a place, then let's play with the term role, your role. Um, I could say that in a lot of men, uh, especially from a faith-based standpoint, say my, my ultimate calling, my purpose is my family right? Family first. And, and my calling is as a spouse or as a father, you know, specifically. And yet that's a role. So what if there's, and I'm, I'm going to exaggerate this, you know, there's a uh, car wreck and I lose my family. Now I've lost my calling. So then we look at work, you know, as a calling place. And I'm thinking, okay, let's go, let's come away from the faith-based aspect. Did Michael Jordan find his calling? Here was a guy who was destined. It was his karma, destiny, whatever, uh, to play basketball or Celine Dion to sing this, you know, angelic voice up there. Was that it? And yet that's still a role. So when they left the stage or left the court, are they out of their calling? When he retired, did he lose, did Michael Jordan lose his calling. So play with that with me amongst our propensity to associate it with those roles that we take in life or that we are searching for in life. Well, I might remind you of a book your father wrote. (laughs) In 48 days, I mean, you're going right to the core of the very first version of that book that I wrote, where I distinguish between career I mean, calling, career, and job. Calling is the big picture. Yeah, it's what you want to be remembered for. You know, it's a, if you want to reduce pain and suffering in the world, I mean, that would be a legitimate part and definition of one's calling or vocation. We'll, we'll use those interchangeably. Career then is a subset and relates more to what you're talking about, a role. So if I want to help reduce pain and suffering in the world, I can be a physician, I can be a sports trainer, a massage therapist, um, you know, a dentist. I, I could theoretically be a politician, a pastor, a teacher, still help reduce pain and suffering in the world. So it's secondary. And there's a whole lot of things where you can serve in a role or in a career and still be fulfilling your unique calling. Okay. I mean, 
Calling does not narrow you down so specifically that you got to go to work at General Motors and work on the assembly line, you know, for 35 years. It's not like that. Just like Celine Dion. I mean, I think she could have been a nurse. She could have been something else. I think she chose something that really fit her well, but I would never say that what she's doing is the only thing that would have been a fulfilling of her calling. I mean, certainly as an author, I love what I do, and I think it's a really great opportunity to kind of bring that convergence into the sweet spot that I described. But if books went away tomorrow, if everybody stopped reading books, I'm not dead in the water. There's a whole lot of other things that I could do that would be fulfilling, profitable, serving people well outside of what I'm doing. Well, which you are. I mean, you could list... I mean, you've got your Venn diagram. You're the, that's one of your favorite things, that Venn diagram of, of, of you for, and I, the last time I saw it was in regards to your revenue, you know, looking at all these yes. areas. But it also depicted, I didn't think about it in those terms at the time, or this, these terms, it also depicted the different channels that you are participating in your calling with, whether it's speaking, a book, uh, your social groups as a father, as a spouse, all these different areas. It reminds me of uh, my buddy, Scott Stearman, who, you know, you have one of his sculptures and actually you just donated one of his, didn't you? The Eagle? We did. Yeah. We did. Give it a permanent home where it'll inspire uh, thousands of people rather than just a few on our property. Okay. Everybody keeps getting on me to tell more stories. So Scott Stearman, my buddy, you can go see him at <laughs> scottstearman.com is a renowned sculptor. And he came to one of your events. He, he got involved with you and uh, you commissioned him. He did an Eagle. It was planted in a rock on your property in Franklin, Tennessee that you just sold. And part of your sale uh, goal was to, you tell the rest of the story. Well, you know, Scott, I invited Scott to come because, you know, I've always been enamored with the symbolism of the eagle. Everything I do has some kind of takeoff of characteristics of the eagle. So I wanted him to come. And I said, we're going to do this event. We're going to call it Innovate, where we invite people who have creative skills. And I said, I'll set you up in a white tent outside so nobody will disturb you, where you can spend your two days and create the basic structure of an eagle. So we had agreed. He says, I don't want to be outside. I want to be inside. I need to hear the same thing everybody else there is going to hear. So we put him back in the corner and it was just a marvelous experience. We've got a time-lapse video of him creating this amazing sculpture. Well, then we did, he had it, of course, shipped off and has to go through the bronzing process and came back weeks later and we set it in a boulder on our property there. So it graced that property for years and years. And now that we've moved away, have sold the property yeah, we donated that to the Refuge Center, which is a counseling center there in Franklin, Tennessee, where that eagle will be the centerpiece of a labyrinth that your mom and I have sponsored. The labyrinth as a healing process that people can walk through as part of their journey to hold us again. And that eagle will be there to symbolically cheer people on. Well, there you go. So great tie in here because he's somebody I talk about in reference to this role issue within a calling. So he looks at his calling and I'm going to, you know, paraphrase uh, the specifics, but in essence, he's a storyteller. He wants to tell stories that matter and that last, 
you know, for a, a long time. Now, go, I think he's got it written out at his website. It'll do it better justice. But he was asked one time at an event by a guy that you know as well, Jimmy Gibson, a really smart marketing and branding guy. And Jimmy said, what would you do, Scott, if you did, how would you do what you do without your hands? And of course, I'm a sculptor. I couldn't do that. It'd be like Celine Dion without her voice. Well, I, she couldn't. Right. She, she would say I couldn't do it. And it was to make him expand on this issue of calling. And it's interesting because today Scott is on stage, especially at a lot of churches. Yeah, you folks who have uh, churches you're involved with talk about an amazing experience. He gets on stage with a. Uh, a, a head, kind of a, a roughly formed head of clay, and he sculpts the face of Jesus while he gives a talk about how we, as uh, as as followers of Christ, are sculpting the image of Christ to the people around us. Talk about a convicting message, but he does it in this. What would that be? Two dimensional? I don't know. He's you know he's talking three dimensional. Three, okay. Yeah, this is mesmerizing presentation that all occurs in about forty five minutes. Yes, yes. So there, so there's again. Go to scottsteerman.com. I'm shamelessly promoting my buddy. Um, he's also written a book. This amazing coffee table book. Um, and so you know he's expanding on that. And what a great way to what is my calling that supersedes whatever specific role I may or may not have, or that I can do across all my various roles, but is not confined to one, which takes the pressure, I think, off of somebody looking at where is that Holy Grail spot, that one stage where I can enact my calling. So what you're bringing them back to, what you did in your, in your book so many years ago was saying, what is that calling? And if you know that, in a broader sense, it does free you up and you don't end up with so many people that you've worked with over the years who were doing what they thought they did well in the one role. They lost it and they had no idea where else to transfer it. That's right. That's right. But I, I love those opportunities to work with people who feel they are trapped in their career with no other option to express their calling. And yet we give them, help them find other options, other things they can do. I mean, one of the ones you know, I've worked with a lot over the years are pastors. I mean, even the terminology there would imply that God called them to preach, to be in a pulpit on Sunday, you know, and if you leave that, you're going to get struck dead or whatever. Well, no, not at all. I mean, you can be called to ministry, frame it any way that you want to. But being in the pulpit on Sunday and having to conduct funerals and weddings and take calls from people whose kids didn't come home at 3 a.m., those are all other details as part of that role, but certainly probably not key components of your calling. So somebody could move into a new season of life, do something dramatically different, still be fulfilling their calling, even though they've moved away from that role that identified them for so many years. Yeah, that one. I mean, I appreciate you've always talked about that, that the role of pastor is one of the, I think, as you would say, one of the top vocational pursuits people go into, is it fair to say for the wrong reasons uh, or wrong application? At least they want to serve Absolutely. God. So they must need to do it in the fivefold ministry. Right? Absolutely. And a lot of the stories of people I've worked with started out like that. Well, I had a dramatic transformation in my own life and I thought the most honorable thing I could do to serve God is to be a pastor. So they go to seminary. Wow. No. I mean, if you're a bricklayer, do that with excellence to serve God. Don't try to make yourself something you're not and become an imposter 
which often happens when we're trying to again move ourselves into our definition of calling. And those right there. So even, yeah, as in my own journey of wanting to, uh, to serve God, I mean, I am not a great orator. Uh, it's not, I don't enjoy being on stage, giving a presentation. I'm also not a great shepherd in the, in the way of, of what I appreciate with, with pastors. And yet where can I, well, again, I saw you, you're a great example and we have similar personality styles in that. And you went the way of, of, of authoring. Now you do speaking, but authoring podcasting, you know, whatnot. So yeah. So coming back again to the person who is getting wrapped up in what is that calling? I hope that we have taken some of the pressure off of it has to be that one thing. And as you know, more than anyone, this is your area of expertise that we are in a time where people spend less time in one specific career role than ever. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the time that people spend in a particular job has really dropped down. I mean, we're at about two years as the average length, which means then somebody coming out of college, instead of thinking I'm going to find that one right job and stay there for 30 years and get a gold watch, I mean, that's not going to happen anymore. So we know that just on average in that 30 year span, they're going to have 15 different jobs maybe more than that. And so these, those may, may not all be in some real clean, clear industry or profession. They may mix it up. Does that mean that person doesn't have an opportunity to live out there calling? No, not at all. Yeah, that's where we got to remove it from just the role of what they do daily. And that distinction that I mentioned between calling career and job that calling again, if you want to help reduce pain and suffering in the world, the things you could do, nurse, doctor, sports massage, all those things yeah. as a career job is just one particular position. You know, they could be in the hospital. Your, your son, my grandson is working in here in Sarasota, Sarasota Memorial Hospital. They could be working there as a respiratory therapist. But my goodness, it would be very, very confining to think that's the only place, the only job. No, that's just one daily example of what they could do. They could change dramatically and still be living out that calling to help reduce pain and suffering in the world. You are listening to The Ziegler Show and my discussion with Dan Miller, my dad, on calling. Again, you can connect with him at 48days.com. We'll be right back. Let's play with the vocation aspect of it. You know, back when I was a, a pro cyclist, I think I initially looked at that and felt, or at least in retrospect, had sometimes a feeling a little selfish, you know, as an athlete, it was, it was all about me. And what am I serving? I'm just having, I'm having fun, makes me a happy guy. And that, that has merit and, and value. And then it, it took a while and I realized, wait, as a successful athlete, it gives me a platform and that I can use for influence to do the things that I care about. Now, I just recently had on 
an actress, Brianna Brown Keene, and she talked about that because we talked about that. Did she really feel her calling being walked out as an actress on in TV and movie screens? And she said, I, you know, somewhat, but some of this, you know, some of them are just jobs. I mean, she gets paid well to go on there and pretend she's a paid pretender. She's saving the world or doing something massively altruistic in and of that role. She said, sometimes, no, I, I'm not, but it gives her a platform. And now over here, she has her nonprofit called New Hollywood. She has her uh, book, Manifesting Your Mission, and she's working with people and using that platform. So I don't, do you have a definition for that? I mean, some people are going to find, so understanding what their calling is, which we'll get into on how to do that in a second, but uh, am I going to walk that out in my primary vocational role? Do I have to, or can I do something that I'm good at that's you know enjoyable, that's valuable, and use that platform or the resources or whatnot then to further walk out my calling elsewhere. Absolutely, a hundred percent. It would be very, again, narrow to assume that everybody had to turn their calling into a way to make their income. Okay. A lot of people have destroyed not only their calling but their hobby, their passion by trying to force it to be their only source of income. There are a lot of people who are going to, I mean, if, if your passion, your calling is to help homeless moms, the way you can do that most effectively may be to be in a profession where you make a million dollars a year, and then you can fund it without having to form yet another nonprofit and ask people for donations. I mean, what an honorable thing to do. So there are a lot of people who are working in, in roles in careers, in jobs, where the purpose of that is to take care of their needs, to bless their family, to keep their cup full, where their real calling is something that is not what they spend 40 hours a week doing. And that's okay. Well, and again, I know we're talking around your playground. This is something you've been doing for decades, but I, you know, again, it's just out there and it's, it's like, I mean, we've been talking about weight loss for decades and America's fatter than ever. So obviously this is something that we don't say it once and it sticks. We all need to hear this continually and I continue seeing people grapple with it. So you use the word, uh, passions and you know, you've got your book that you wrote with, uh, your other son, my brother, Jared, uh, uh I forgot the title. Wisdom meets passion. Wisdom meets passion. Because you also had your other product uh, where where passion meets, or, or uh, what was the other one? Product. Uh, um, or, passions into profits? Yes, thank you. Okay. And so this is your area too. But if we look at passions, because I had to do this homework or this exercise myself, which was to look at the things. What am I passionate about? Man, I've really got a list of things that just give me life that bring me alive. I went running in the woods today. That is a passion. I have no mm -hmm. desire to do that vocationally or mm -hmm. to use that platform. It's just for me. It's solely for me. The woodwork stuff that I do, man, that's mm -hmm. just, that's just for me. Uh, and there's even some of the writing that I do and that I enjoy. That's just for me. I mean, it overflows and overlaps, but some things that I, I don't really want to write a book about that. I don't want to pursue that. And so I had to come down to, you know, what is the thing though, that I do want to do all day long for pay for money? And what does that look like? And I've obviously found that, but I've, I guess I found some peace 
and some freedom and say, man, I can be passionate about that. It is important. I am going to invest in, in, in this. It's a part of what makes Kevin, Kevin, but it's not something I'm going to do with anything outside of that. It's just for me. It's a passion just for me, as opposed to something that I'm going to spread and build. And I don't even know how to define that. Well, this, yeah, you're describing uh, a whole life picture here, not just one component. And it would be foolish to chase everything you really cared about, or you think you're passionate about that, to try to develop that into your primary focus. And I love, as you know, exotic cars. I got a couple auctions that I'm going to here in Florida coming up. I'm really excited about these high-end auctions. You go and sit there for two days, and there's hundreds of cars coming through. I love that. I have zero desire to turn that into what I do or I'm known for. I'm just passionate about it. You know, I love landscaping. We're doing lots of things here. Um, I'm fired up about e-bikes. As you know, I just got a brand new e-bike, and I love watching the technology develop, new things coming down. But none of those are going to find a place for me to look for a financial opportunity around that, as well as other things, you know, just, I mean, golly, just, you know, helping somebody out who's really struggling at a particular place. I love doing that, but I'm not going to kill the golden goose. I'm not going to divert all my attention from what I'm doing. You know, that that's the, it's, it's sad when we see people who have something that's, very profitable, very productive for them. And then all of a sudden they decide that God's t- called them into full-time ministry. And so they quit what they're doing. And then they reach their hands out to Kevin and Dan and say, will you give me money so I can do good in the world? Think, wait a minute. How could you not use the business where you were so gifted as your best vehicle for doing any good in the world you want to do? And we could go down that path. I'll, I'll keep us out of it. But I mean, you have so many brilliant stories of people who have done that. They thought they had a calling. They needed to go into you know ministry, not to pick on that. Obviously, we're not picking on ministry. Some people are, thank goodness. But they errantly went into that and you helped bring them back or find that vocational area that they excelled in that gave them so much joy and fulfillment and the testimonies of how many more people they were able to reach and bless you know, through that than the ministry, but, but play with, uh, okay. Frederick Beekner, one of my favorite guys, I have just about every book he's ever written. Uh, he's, right. I, what would you call him? A theologian, uh, absolutely uh, theologian author. Yeah. So he, he's, he's, he's a guy that, that most of his stuff speaks to me really well. And one of his quotes that I really like, and I know I probably found it through you and I, and I know you've used it is your vocation in life is where your greatest joy meets the world's greatest need. Mm-hmm. I, now, I appreciate that, but I can see that getting somebody wrapped up into that. Oh, it feels like I've got to figure out my absolute greatest joy and where the world's greatest need. It can feel a little bit narrowing and yet, well, maybe play with it for you personally, Dad. So where have you define that for yourself where you found an aspect, you know, one of these passions, a great joy and a great need, and we're able to bring them together vocationally. Well, I'm pretty comfortable in knowing that I am in my calling. However, this was not something that I discovered when I was 18 years old or 25 or 35. It was later. And I had done a lot of different things that I 
thoroughly enjoyed, and I felt like God was blessing me in doing those things, and I felt fulfilled in what I was doing. And then along came this opportunity that really I was not prepared for prior, teaching a Sunday school class. I was 41 years old and saw people respond to just what I thought was a very simple concept of figure out how God has gifted you and then use that as a focus for how to come up with meaningful, purposeful, profitable work on Monday morning. That's what I wanted to do. Now, again, I started doing that in a Sunday school class. So I have to do something to put food on the table, right? Absolutely. And I did. Being a sales guy, an entrepreneur, you know, I can do that all day long. People kept coming more and more and more. I was spending more and more time there. And finally decided, well, if I'm going to spend this much time, maybe I ought to look at the possibilities within this of generating income yeah. as well as just serving people. Well, my, my memory is it was mom, at least the story that was in my head, her coming to you and going, look, you're devoting so much time to everybody. You need to get paid for this. Otherwise, we're going to go broke while you give away your free information. What a great setup for a job. Well, and there is a little story behind that. I was working on my doctoral program at that point through Oxford. So I was going back and forth to England periodically. I'd spend three weeks over there and then come back for like six as part of that program. While I was gone, she was getting all these phone calls from people. Hey, I need to see Dan. I need to see Dan. I need to see Dan. Where I was just been trying to work those people in around the schedule of other things I was doing to make money. She started telling those people, okay, you can be here Tuesday at 2.30 and it'll be $345. Whatever. When I came back from one of those trips to England, she had a schedule set up that was going to generate thousands of dollars. Now, you got to be kidding me. Are people really going to put up with this? Moving from what I was doing just altruistically into now charging. But there's an interesting piece of that as well, because a lot of times people think when they're in their calling, then they have to be just giving things away. The most honorable thing we can do is give things away. No, when I made that transition where instead of just being the nice guy at church, I was now a professional coach and charging for that, things exploded for me. People took me seriously. That's when I started having a physicians, dentists, attorneys, engineers, accountants lining up saying, hey, everybody sees me doing okay, but I don't think this is it. Help me figure this out. And they valued it because they paid for it. So a really interesting transition. Now, that being said, did I then just ignore everybody who just showed up for the Sunday school class, people who are struggling at the very bottom economically and not able to pay for those kind of coach? No, it gave me the freedom to help those people because I have parts of my business that are very profitable. And that's another thing people miss. They think it's all or nothing. No, golly, there are... I mean, I, I sometimes talk about the fact that probably 95% of my audience has never paid me a penny. They listen, they get our newsletter, they get our resources, our checklist, worksheets, materials, and all. That's okay. That's okay, because I do pretty well with the 5% who do pay. So we have things that are offered, but I don't just close the door on somebody. I still have that heart of service to help somebody out, to figure this thing out, because I think it's such an important message. Well, and we are hitting on huge topics and you know for resources folks go to 48days.com that's what he does and get help with these because you you mentioned the word just a minute ago of where you were gifted because as we talk about this calling and passions and to Beekner's you know uh, perspective of where the 
your greatest joy meets the world's greatest need. I feel like we are always, and I don't want to be pessimistic and negative about the times that we are in, but we've got some unique things that seem to be hurting the culture. And I think people are suffering from where people are possibly less connected than ever to what their greatest joys are. Uh, it feels like we, I see culture, especially amongst the younger culture uh, and the screen addictions that we have, the screen uh, investments, at least, if it's not an addiction, so much time, and they're just doing less. There was a meme that I need to pull up. I reference it too often, and I probably do a poor paraphrasing of it, but in essence saying we may never find uh, the next great painter because they're not picking oh, up a brush. Wow. Yeah, we may not find the next best Michael Jordan because they're not picking up a ball anymore. And we have a, gosh, a show. I think it's coming up on the True Life podcast about where we're kind of switching the discussion from not whether screens are bad in and of themselves and what we are viewing and looking at, whether that's bad, let's, we're going to set that aside and just say, regardless, even if it's okay, what is it keeping us from? And I did a informal survey that I think got a hundred some comments pretty in depth on Facebook and people talked about, they know, they know what it's keeping them from. They know the things that they are not investing in, that they're not trying, that they're not exposing themselves to. And that's what concerns me, dad, is if, if when we don't do that, when we don't have those experiences, just like you talked about, it's how many things did you do? Did you participate in? Did you try before you found this great meeting of a great joy and a world's great need, but it took a lot of I don't even know if you call it trial and error, just trying, just doing stuff. Yeah, I didn't feel like I was off track. I mean, I, you know, sold used cars and had health and fitness centers, you know, did other kind of sales training things. I never felt like I was off track. I wasn't obsessed or going to, to bed distraught or anything. But then, because my preparation changed, I was at a point where there was a convergence that seemed to really come together and it was a sense of confidence about what I was doing like I had never had before. Now, with what you're talking about, if we go back a couple generations, kids didn't have exposure to the things they do today. So if your dad was a farmer, gee, that was the expectation. That's, you were going to be a true. farmer. Yeah. If your mom was a teacher, that's what you were expected to do. So you had a very narrow scope of things you were even exposed to. It should be an advantage today to have exposure to so many things. But a lot of people get lost. It's like walking into the cereal aisle instead of having, you know, three flavors to choose from. Now you've got 50 and you're overwhelmed yeah. because there's so many choices and they get stuck like a deer in the headlights. I, I hadn't thought about that. That is true. I mean, as a kid, I was into cars. Why? Because you were. And, yeah. and now today I'm, I, I think, I hope you're not completely ashamed of me for the cars that I, <laughs> that I, I'm right now. Cause I got one car in the shop and I'm back in my 1999 Chevy Suburban with 220,000 miles. That is, you know, where we live, why, why, why clean the dumb thing? And I keep the picture of you standing next to your Porsche. Yeah. It gives yeah. me more pride at this point than you. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. Uh, well, you know, but again, going back to that, I, I do want to point out and in your story is just so relevant here that through all that time, since I was a kid, my memory was you putting so much time into your personal awareness, putting your 10,000 hours into knowing Dan 
and the personality profiles you took, the seminars, the Dale Carnegie courses, the Zig Ziglar, you know, seminars that we went to that you did that because we are talking about, again, back to this, to Beekner's quote, your vocation life is where your greatest joy meets the world's greatest need. Finding your greatest joy is where I find people who will hear a message like this and go, okay, I get that, but I don't know what my joy is. I don't know what my passion is. I don't even have an interest. And you know that question more and more when you ask people what interests they have, what hobbies, what um, you know, personal self-care things that my guests like you and all the people on the bookshelves and the books behind me are all pretty darn clear on what those interests are. And yet the, often the person out in the audience does, has less and less. They don't know. They don't, they don't know what brings them alive, what inspires them. And they're not real aware of themselves. And so it feels like there's a big call. Yeah, go. I see you smiling. <laughs> well, it's unfortunate because I think life leaves clues. I really can't imagine a 27-year-old not being able to look back at their life experience up to that point and see some pretty clear benchmarks for when is it that you're really in the zone? When is it that you feel like you're doing something significant? What is it that brings you you joy? So life leaves clues like that. And then the other part of that is we can do the introspection. We can do the personal seeking easier today than ever. You know, what are the five books that you've read in the last three months? You know, tell me about that. Oh, gee, no, you just watch three hours of TV and I, no wonder your mind is blocked from personal understanding and things that are going to give you growth opportunities. So if somebody's intentional about that desire to find out, it's just, it's too easy to walk down that path. Yeah. So get, we've got in our Eagles community, we got 12 great books that we're walking people through this year, one a month where we unpack it together. You can't go through a process like that and not come out with a pretty clear understanding of who you are, what you're all about, what your passions are, and what you'd likely to be good at pursuing. You are listening to The Ziggler Show and my discussion with Dan Miller, my dad, on Colin. Again, you can connect with him at 48days.com. We'll be right back. Okay, you're... you're Speaking to clues, it just brings me back to kids. And so for the people out there, I mean, this is relevant to us as individuals, but it's easy to point to with kids. So I have, um, I've got nine kids and it's been interesting. They really did a number on me and some of my perspectives in regards to nature versus nurture. I tend to be on the nurture side that we are, you know, programmed by our environment and we kind of make ourselves up. And yet seeing my kids, I didn't leave that, but they added a lot into the nature side to see two kids. I got two boys right now. They're 15 months apart in age. Uh, I feel like in a great degree, I've parented them very much the same. They have been in very much the same environment. They share a room, they share, you know, chores, uh, sleep, sleeping habits. I mean, everything. And yet they are so different, so incredibly different. And we talk about that and do that. What you do, dad, what you said, look for those clues. And even the, you know, of, of interest, you mentioned the, you know, not doing things and just watching screens, but even there to look at what are they interested in? Why is one really interested in cooking shows and the other is interested in, you know, social groups. And we could even pull stuff out of there 
And it's, this is something that you raised me on. I heard from you. I took it into my own parenting, that verse of, that gets paraphrased, but, you know, training up a child, uh, in the way that they are bent, not the way that we want to bend them. Yeah. Yeah. But finding their bent. And that's one of the great joys for me as a parent is helping that kid, helping my kids find their bent. But it's, I say it's a joy, but it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to do It's And I think in this world, what you said too, there are so, they are exposed to so much. There are so many options and a guy like me can tend to say, Hey, you can be anything you want. Sometimes I feel like that's even more crippling because it's just, it's daunting. I could do anything. It's, there's way too many things out there. And the reality is they can't do anything that well. That's right. Okay. That's right. Yeah. I, I certainly would not tell somebody that you can do anything you want. You know, if you understand yourself well, you ought to understand your unique skills and abilities, your unique personality style, your unique goals, dreams, and passions. Those will help you create a framework where you then see the possibilities. And they're not going to be narrowed down to one. But if you narrow down to 10 things that embrace what you know about yourself, yeah, absolutely. You can go do any of those you want to do. Now, with kids, it takes more time and effort to do what you described, Kevin. It's a whole lot easier to say, hey, go to college and, you know, choose and get a degree. Go to dental school or be an attorney if you want to. It's a whole lot easier to do that than to really open the door to the uniqueness of a child that may have them end up being like Scott Stearman, a sculptor. You're not going to go to college and they tell you, gee, you ought to, you know, carve in clay. Not a chance. But he has to find that himself. Mm-hmm. And so as parents, if we can really help our kids understand themselves, give them freedom to try different things, then I think their passion, their giftedness, their calling will emerge from that. I'm totally confident of that. Well, and so give some resources. Now, again, I already said, you know, 48days.com, that's that's the point there is giving people resources. I know that you are uh, prolific in uh, the DISC profile. Um, mm-hmm. utilizing that one. I know you also like the Enneagram. You guys have been putting a lot Absolutely. of focus on that. Yeah. And I, I really appreciate that one. And then uh, name some other ones. I, I know one that I have liked recently. And I've, I've talked about a lot. We had Jonathan Fields back on the show and he has his new book sparked and the te- uh, I don't know if you call it a test. The profile is spark type S P A R K E T Y P E. And it's just, he, he has that. It's just vocationally focused. And I've really enjoyed that because it came back and it showed me as a maker. That's what I, you took it. Didn't you? Do you remember? No, did you not? I, did. I thought I sent it to you guys, but it came across mine was maker. And it, and, and the description of that was so fitting and just kind of helped confirm that that is where I, the more time I spend in my work now as a business owner, you, you know, you wear some different hats, but the more time I spend with a blank sheet of paper and an idea and getting to make that, to create that the more joyful I am, the more fulfilled that I am. And that's where I shine. Now I can't spend all my time just doing that, but the more I can, the better. And it was real confirming, but those types of things, the Enneagram, I went through it again, uh, this year, I'm probably due to go through the disc profile again and overlap those things, kind of like a, a Venn diagram of those Sure. And, and look at those to understand what brings me to life. What are my struggles? I, I enjoy that one as well. The Enneagram looking at the, you know, my type and how does it list those, the things, um, the risks or the, 
I can't remember what that talk, what like the negatives, like this personality, you know, this style is going to tend to struggle here. Sure. These are, uh-huh. Yeah. I, that really helps me as well to realize, yeah, gosh, no wonder I struggle in that area. So, um, you know, those, so those are three, I mean, I don't know if you've got some other resources for people who are hearing this and they say, yeah, I want to know that, but I don't know myself. I don't understand my bent. Well, uh, Jeff and Beth McCord have a book on Enneagram. I had her on the show. Oh, did you really? I did. Yeah. If, if, so folks, if you type in Beth McCord, the Ziegler show, it's been a while, year, year and a half, but yes, right. and, cause well, she's an expert in that. And she's, for those of you who are, are faith-based folks, she comes from that vein as well. And they have a brand new book coming out that oh. is more than a number which oh, I really sweet. love. Okay. So okay. it's not to just superimpose, you know, this is who you are, you know, the old Popeye mentality. I am what I am. No, it's fluid. You can move around, but, uh, there, so there's that, you know, their, their book on the Enneagram, any, any of the books, they got a new one coming out and the one that's pretty established. Ian Cron's book, the road back to you that he wrote with Susan Stabile is really good. And then once you know your number, Susan Stabile has a whole series of books on each of the nine Enneagram types. So your mother has the book on living as a two. I have living as a five. Your grandson who's here has living as a four. My, your grandson, oh. not that's my son. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and, he, and he got one for his, so my, the kids pick sibling gifts and his sibling was my daughter, Eliza, who's 21. And that's what he got her. Cause she really appreciates, she's gotten so much value at Enneagram. He got her All the right. book on her number, which I, I believe is nine. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So there's plenty of resources there, you know, understanding the disc, there's a lot of information on that, but just the personal understanding that reading, even if you're not the, in, enamored with the profile numbering, lettering system and all that, just the personal understanding that comes from reading a book like Zig Ziglar's classic, you know, see you at the top. I mean, the magic of thinking big, you know, those books help you understand yourself. The old Carnegie classic, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Those are all tools that help us with our personal understanding. Say, oh, that's true of me. This not so much. But because of this that I know about myself, now I can move more into being maximally effective at what I do. And the goal is not to end up making ourselves, you know, a robot where we're just predictable, but it's just to live fully alive. It's to really enjoy the uniqueness that we have that we can really just bask in and be comfortable in. You know, you can be around people who are vastly different than you and recognize that and appreciate what they're doing. But then you also see opportunities to come together where you're, I mean, I surround myself and people that I work with, with people whose skills complement my own, not people who have the same skills I do. No point in that. Nobody's going to learn or grow. I want people who have different skills than I, who can challenge me in the things that I do. But then that's the way that you can you know, have the kind of success that we're all looking for, whether it's in personal relationships or if it's in business endeavors together, I mean, it works across the board. Well, and this, you know, it is so unique. Uh, You know, my true life podcast, we look at functional medicine and the premise of that is there is no cookie cutter 
prescription methodology treatment that works for everybody. Everybody is unique. And in this, I want people to hear that, that finding your style, your calling that's going to supersede your roles. I mean, it takes a lot of work and it's unique for you. And it's, again, we get so wrapped up in, and I have done it in the past too, in other people's perspective on success and what worked for them. And that's great. And we can call from that and model certain pieces of that, but to realize that ours is going to be, um, so unique. And, you know, I got that handed to me on a silver platter by you and, and mom with the expectation that you're going to work at something that fits you, that you enjoy, uh, that, uh, and I remember from an early age, you, you saying, I don't even know if it was to me or if it was maybe to a client that, you know, I was privy to, but saying, would God really call you to go do something that makes you miserable? Where, <laughs> where's the context? Where's the context for that? And, you know, and on that, not to go too far down this road, but I, you know, I think we, I, I worry about the translations that we have, even biblically, when we look at Moses and hear God called him and he questions him and says, I, I'm not a great orator. I'm going to lead these people. Yeah. Uh, and I think we can easily take that to go, oh, he didn't want to do that. He didn't like that. It didn't fit him. I, 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 I don't. I don't think that's the translation just because he questioned him on that. But I'm afraid that's one of those stories that we take and say, yeah, God's going to call me to something. You used to talk about that. I'm so afraid I'm going to open myself up to God's calling. He's going to call me to something that absolutely sucks. Well, as you know, I had a fear as a little kid. I had a cousin who was a missionary in Africa and, you know, she'd come back and, oh, we'd all, ooh, and I, this is so special, you know, her calling and I had this fear that if I really submitted myself to God, he was going to send me to Africa and it would be miserable. <laughs> well, fortunately, I learned my, uh, I was past that, that that's not the way that God operates. But we often, if we come from a theological background, that's not unusual to assume that what God calls us to will not be a fit for us. It will be something where we're miserable and have to really stretch and probably not be able to put peanuts on the table. You know, there is that mentality there. So we have to reconcile that in understanding that God calls us to our own joy, calls us to use the gifts that we already have been given to maximize those. So it should be an accentuation of what our heart is already calling us to, our natural skills is calling us to, not a negating of those and moving into something where we're totally awkward, not a place. I, I like the right for going biblical. I mean, I, I look at Paul. And look at what he was doing before his conversion, and he was uh, he was a powerful guy, and he was he was doing what Paul did, and he you know cr went went the other direction, and he still did what Paul did. Uh, That's right. Yeah, <laughs> focus yeah. in a new direction. Focus in a new direction. Well, I, I I intended for this to to be what this has been a discussion around this and to broaden to broaden out. Yeah, the calling uh, that it is something that we get to. I get to do. I am me with my calling across the board in all my roles. And it's such a gift. It's so freeing. Even though. I'm also so grateful, like you are, to have found a spe some specific applications, and I get to spend my day doing this, talking to guys like you about great messages and having a conversation and uh, recording it and getting paid for it. What a, what a gift is that? It took a while. It took, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, yeah, you talked about your age. I'm 52 now. I mean, I've been doing this for, I don't know, six or seven years, but not making a full-time full income on this. I mean, it's taken... 
it's taken a while. And I think we, again, get waylaid by the, the next story of some successful person at 20. That's the outlier. And uh, we had our successes then, but it's a different place than what we're at now. Well, it is an ongoing process, Kevin. I mean, it, it never stops. I mean, I don't, that's why I read more today than I ever have. Yeah. I mean, I've got stacks of books behind me that I want to go through because I love that process of continued exploration and digging deeper. It's not that I'm feeling some kind of existential angst or I'm unhappy with where I am at all, but I just love the process of fine tuning this, of just going deeper. Uh, one of the authors who I love his work is Parker Palmer. I mean, one of his books is Let Your Life Speak. I use that as a chapter in one of my books because I was so, uh, I, I love that concept. He says, before I can tell my life what I want to do with it, I must listen to my life telling me who I am. goes back to your Beckner. Quote. Uh, yeah, he's got a book. Listen, to, I've got it. Listen, listen to your life. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yep. Listen to your life telling you who you are. And that listening to your life is something that a lot of people want to bypass. Uh, they want to look externally for where the opportunities are, what somebody else is doing, what Uncle Harry did you know, to be successful. And so they pursue that without taking that deep breath and looking inward. You know, in 48 Days to the Work You Love, I describe that 85% of the process of having a confidence of proper direction comes from looking inward first. 85%. 15% then is the application and frankly, the easy part. Yeah. Well, Hey, thanks for jumping on a call with me and talking about calling. Um, hey, absolutely. Well, oh. I, th I think we need to keep coming back to it because yeah, it's, it's, uh, it feels like, and I think that's why I saw the commentaries on it. People continue to get, they hear, they hear the hope of it. I mean, it's a, it's a great, it's, it's attractive. It's sexy. And yet can be so daunting, can be so um, seemingly confining. And yeah, again, like that Holy Grail, the one thing. Oh, my gosh, that's that's daunting. Uh, I don't want one thing. I yeah. want multiples. <laughs> well, maybe we need to come up with a new word rather okay. than calling. Yeah. Where it makes it more approachable um, and realistic for a model. We don't want to reduce how profound this can be. Right. But we want to remove it being a daunting process that people feel like they can't get their head around, their hands around. It just goes to those lucky few who figured out, no. I mean, and again, it's, it's an evolving concept. I mean, your kids, if they're seven years old, should have a clear sense of calling based on what they know about themselves at that point. Mm -hmm. And then it's going to be something different when they're 16. Your Gosh. son had a birthday. And yeah. then... It evolves when they're 21. It's, it's opening up. They're getting more and more clarity. Yeah. 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 And, and having seasons and cycles, I'm, I'm more grateful for that all the time and not having to hold on. And as my buddy Dustin says, palms, palms up, palms up. Um, well, Hey, thank you folks. I hope this did justice again, 48 days.com. That's what they do every single day. Dad, thanks for joining me. Absolutely. My pleasure. I love the conversation, Kevin. 
I keep mentioning Dan Miller's website because calling and vocation are his playground. I should know. I'm his son. He's got tons of resources. If you don't find all you want, just contact them there. Ask or ask me by email if you want at kmiller at kevinmiller.co and I'll direct you best I can. I just spent this morning personally replying to a lot of people and I'd be happy to connect with you. Coming up next in Ziegler Show, episode 968, I'll be talking with Tom Ziegler and breaking down more of the root issues of personal and business development. Till then, again, thank you, as always, for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. 